You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and joining me is my good friend, friend to all mankind, William Gallagher. Yeah, I spend the week worrying how you're going to describe that. I don't know why, actually, because uh, this is your show and I'm just the kind of stand-in stunt guest, aren't I? So at any moment, you could have somebody better on. But every week, I'm wondering what you're going to do to me. Well, I, have I ever, ever... I have never come on and introduced you saying, this is my friend William of Very Little Brain. No, you could better have done, this is William because no one else is available. I would have accepted no. that one. No. Okay. No, no. <laughs> William, you're always welcome. That's very nice, and I do look forward to when we get to do this, especially on weeks like this when there does seem to be quite a lot going on, isn't there? Just a little bit. Not much, actually. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, let's let's start talking about some of this, because I know exactly what it is you want out of life. <laughs> more than okay, anything... Please tell me, because I'm not sure. More than anything, yes. you want a 16 to 16 and a half inch MacBook Pro. Mm, yeah, not... Not especially. I want to help you here, no. but not, <laughs> not, not especially. so much. No. no, I know. No, what, I want to finish the play I'm working on. You, but in terms of hardware... You want an iMac, yeah. I'm aware. But go with me for a yes. second, because there's the possibility that the MacBook as we know it could change entirely. What, into Windows machine or something? Well, I mean, you can do that with Boot Camp anyway. But currently, we, we've had for a long time, we've had machines that were 13-inch, that were 15-inch, that were occasionally 17-inch. And since 2015, we'd have uh, had the current models of 13 and 15 that were very slim with the, uh, the the new style butterfly keyboard. And along the way, we've had rumors of of different things that were going to happen to the keyboard, whether it was putting in extra rubber cups to try and prevent dust and dirt from getting into the keyboard for the butterfly keyboard, to the idea that the whole keyboard could be replaced with a glass panel that would have haptic feedback and that it would feel like a keyboard. And now we have a rumor from TF International Securities Analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, who says that sometime in 2019 that there will be an upgraded 13-inch MacBook Pro with 32 gigabytes of RAM, and the 15-inch models will become 16 and 16 and a half inch models. Now, one of the ways that that can happen is if you look at a current MacBook Pro, there's a rather large bezel around the screen. There's a black border, right? And, yes. And mm-hmm. you can push the screen to the edges now. That that's Since about 2018, it's been possible to get screens that go to the edges. And so... Okay, the, this is when I should confess that only a couple of days ago, as we record this, I got out my tape measure and measured my old iMac to see just how big the screen could potentially be. So um, you're saying you've done that with MacBooks and you think this is how it's going to work? I, I think that... So the, the 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 screen is what dictates the size of the actual laptop because you can't have a screen that overlaps the um, the, the the base, the palm rest, the, the keys, right? The screen dictates the size of the palm rest. And sure. they don't really... I mean, the 15-inch size is a good size. It's a size a lot of people use. It fits in bags well. And if you grow that, then everyone's got to go ahead and buy new bags, which isn't necessarily a bad problem, but it's not necessarily a good problem either. You know, this is a good form factor. And so 
my expectation is that they would do a little bit of both. They would grow the screen to the edge and maybe increase the overall size just a little bit. Okay, resulting in a 16 to 16 and a bit inch MacBook Pro. Right. And the one of the nice things about when you grow the, the size in terms of width and depth of the de- laptop sitting on your desk is that you could potentially, if you wanted to have the same amount of battery, just make it thinner because now you can spread out just that much further around the edges. You know, the the other yes, thing you could but... do is keep it the same thickness and just increase the amount of battery you get, which would be a very Apple thing to do. Or you could just go crazy and make it thicker so that we can have a longer travel keyboard. But I accept that's not going to happen. So, mm. Yeah, in, in the pantheon of unlikely things that are to happen proposed by William, that's one of them. Okay, I wasn't keeping a list, but okay, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I'm i not sure to think about this because it all makes sense, of course, what you say. I follow that. I hadn't thought about the bezels on the MacBook, but yes, of course. It's just I used to have a 17-inch uh, PowerBook, and in retrospect, that was like carrying a sail around with me. Mm. Um, I don't remember finding it awkward, but now compared to, you know, like my, uh, well, frankly, to my iPhone, it would feel ludicrous. Well, I mean, th- there was the netbook that was the smallest form factor of a laptop. There, there was the old, if you really want to go back to it, the IBM 701CS that was the butterfly keyboard where it wasn't a butterfly key switch like we use today. It was a keyboard that was split down the middle and literally puzzle pieced in so that it could fit under a very small screen. And when you open it up, it spread its wings and the keyboard hung off the edges of the laptop base. IBM in the UK, absolutely beautiful site, uh, has a, a small little museum of previous IBM products. And I, I was shown one of those in there. It's absolutely gorgeous thing. Yeah, I have two of them. Oh. They were such beloved machines that people would take the 46 processor out of them and sent the motherboards off to have them upgraded to Pentiums. Okay. I never, I, it worked. I never got one of those ones. I still have the 46 model, but it was um, it was a thing where people would upgrade them and upgrade their processors inside. And So how do you get Mac OS on them? Uh, sheep shaver. Right. Wasn't expecting a serious answer there. <laughs> Not sure I got a serious answer. But, okay. Sheep shaver and VMAC. Yeah, sheep shaver and VMAC were one of those old emulators. So VMAX uses VMAC. Okay. Well, you used to back Just... in the old days. It's not really been used in a long time. But that was one of the ways you could get System 7 or System, you know, to, to, to run on those kinds of things. The classics. Yeah. But uh, the the beauty of, let's see, where a MacBook Pro could go is that obviously if you had 32 gig max, you would probably be talking about uh, LPDDR RAM or, or DDR4 RAM, which is uh, faster and a little more power hungry. You'd also probably be looking at trying to get a 10 nanometer Intel chip so that you could uh, go that much faster. Now, uh, I don't know the difference between these different types of RAM, but I'm guessing... Uh, faster, generally, yeah. Possibly more capacity, yeah. More expensive, yes. Okay, right. Oh, I'm up to date there then. Okay. Um, you also said new processors and things, but okay. What's What's interesting about this note is that this note says that these laptops are going to be aimed at designers and gamers, and gaming is is one of those areas where Apple has never quite succeeded. 
you know, they've tried for years. They had John Carmack work with them on things. They had, you know, they, they, they tried to get OpenGL to be a thing. They have done a large number of attempts at gaming, including Metal and, and Metal 2, right? And mm-hmm. the uptake has never been there on Mac. And, and to be fair, well, they, they sort of failed at gaming uh, on Apple TV as well. It's um, for, for for a myriad of reasons. So part of it is hardware, right? Apple tends to ship GPUs that are not exactly the GPUs that gamers are looking for. You know, a gamer these days wants like an RTX twenty eight, you know, twenty eighty or whatever the newest thing from Nvidia is, or or something shiny like that. And you know, Apple Apple will ship a GPU, but it's it's not going to be the one that a gamer will find in a dedicated, uh, you know, a, a, a dedicated like uh, HP Omen laptop or something like that. I will cheerily confess that I have zero interest in gaming, but it does seem to me that whatever gamers are using now is stuff that, you know, uh, what do you call me, a regular productivity kind of user will benefit from later. So I like to see these things coming through, but apart from being addicted to uh, Sudoku on my iPad, I'd never play games at all. Right. Okay. We'll just move on from that I've just been fired, haven't I? (sighs) Why are you so nervous and paranoid about being fired, William? In the history of a lot. in the yeah. history of this podcast, have we ever fired someone? Don't answer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. No, and and I have I have never actually fired anyone from the podcast. Just saying so that because I know we'll get comments. Years and years of being freelance with BBC, where uh, you had no contract per se, and it was you could be gone next week for you know. And yeah. actually, I liked that, uh, but I see it's affected my psyche, and it has. Your, you're getting from it. What if I throw in the fact that I have played chess quite a bit as well? Very, very badly, but I've played it. So that's two games. I'm surely officially a gamer now. I need one of these NVIDIA RT thingies that you mentioned. Yes. Give me one of those. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, Quo also talked about the possibility of the 2019 iPhone and what it's going to be like. And and so what he was talking about is he expects that the true depth camera will see an update, that there will be a higher power flood illuminator for better face ID recognition, that the 6.1 inch LCD model might get 4 gig of RAM up from the current 3 gig that it has in the iPhone XR. The, uh, the, the top end iPhone will get a triple lens camera system with a wide telephoto and ultra wide option. We don't know whether or not that would would be in both the 5.8 and 6.5 inch OLED models. We have no idea about exactly where that goes, but that's what they're looking at. Uh, now, all of the lineup may get ultra wideband, which is useful for indoor positioning and navigation. You know how sometimes you go indoors and you lose your GPS signal? Ultra wideband yeah. is the cure for that. I thought staying outside was the cure, but okay, it seems more workable. Will these phones be foldable, though? Isn't that really what we want? No. Yeah, okay. Right. So Samsung released a folding phone. And Samsung's foldable phone is ridiculous money. Very, very version one. Very, very thick. Now, I'm kind of glad it exists as a version one because if it's ever to become practical, then someone needs to make a rough version one so that they can make a better version two. But... This thing is is very very 
rough. Now, there are a bunch of different ideas for what foldable should be. Should it be something that folds in half vertically like a folio case and then you open it up and you've got bigger screen to work with? Should it be something that folds backwards across the binding so that it's a small display in your hand like a normal phone and then you open it up for more? Or should it be a clamshell kind of like the old uh, the old flip phones? No one's exactly positive what these things should be, but Samsung has gone ahead and released one and they're the first manufacturer with a big name to go ahead and do it. We, we saw one back in January at CES, but this is really the first real one. And uh, you know, there, there are valid concerns. First of all, how the operating system handles it. Now, Google said that they're gonna make Android work with folding phones. Uh, the other thing is, you know, I worry a little bit about stress, right? Anytime that you have a joint that moves, eventually that joint is going to wear out and break. But Samsung did go to some lengths to talk about, I can't remember, the system of gears that they used for it. So it's actually the whole presentation was very Apple-like, apart from the lack of applause when expected. Other than that, it was very Apple showing designs up. And the innards bit for the hinge, well... I don't know how to design anything, but it looked very impressive to me. One of the things about giving a presentation like that is that with Apple, they never waited for applause. They kept talking, and when the applause happened, then they'd pause for it. But they they could have gone on and given the whole presentation without a single bit of applause. You know, I, I do remember what was the Apple presentation in New York where it was they were practically thrown by how the audience uh, were reacting so much to it and you could see they were trying to press through uh, whereas yes i was watching the samsung thing and it was like and it folds Ta-da! no nobody wants to applaud nope i think this is really interesting phone i mean it's no use to me because it runs android and it's android that i don't like uh but uh, otherwise what great. what do you dislike about android pretty much every bit of it it feels unfinished to me still i find it clunky uh there are so many options in it when i don't really care so about options. so what yeah. what android were you using what version of android were you using i have absolutely like was this on a code. pixel was it some samsung thing what was this no idea can't remember a single thing except instantly thinking really seriously what was the thing that threw me God, there was this thing where i thought oh this is really good and then it wasn't it's like it was half good yeah i was like you couldn't be bothered i remember the person showing it to me uh blamed apple for it uh apple has some oh, some rights to something and therefore this android maker couldn't do something and it was all just oh come on yeah, yeah. work don't work fed up so yeah. i've i've used uh android in every iteration of it and you know i try and use things like the nexus or the pixel or or something that's a sterile build a real build from android as opposed to from apple from google sorry a real build mm. from google as opposed to being a uh, a modified version like samsung would do and it's uh you know it's one of those things where you use it for a week or two and it, this could quite work this could be all right but I do like coming back to Apple knowing that it's a secure phone, that it can be restored to a secure state, that it's that it's um, reliable. Where Android, I always question, how, how reliable is this? How secure is this? Should I really feel comfortable using it? Kind of thing. But if I were... I think of nothing of that. If I were completely I just... ignorant, I mean, it would be probably okay. 
Well, I might as well be completely ignorant because I, I do know about the security concerns, but I don't think about them very much because I'm so used to using Maxter. But if I use uh, Android, if I use, I uh, quite often have to use a Windows PC, and it just ticks me off the number of things I have to think about other than my work uh, when getting it done. I just uh, can't bear it. So, yeah, I come back. Yeah. Now, there's also word about a modular Mac Pro, and. You know, they, they, they've talked about the Mac Pro being modular in the past. They also talked about, uh, when they talked about the Mac Mini earlier last year, about it being something that could be stacked. And, mm-hmm. and, of course, it can be. So the idea here is that a modular Mac Pro would be units that could stack and would have a connector going between them so that you could get your tower of, of stackable modules to the configuration you needed. We should say that this is all coming from uh, one YouTube channel, yeah. um, which I can't pronounce the name of. I'm not trying to hide it. Can you pronounce it? Telosian Tech or something? Telosian Tech. Right. I am certain that was a race in Star Trek, but whoever. Uh, they, I mean, I don't know the uh, provenance of this. I don't know how likely it is to be accurate, but they have an amazing amount of detail, and it, most of it all seems kind of very plausible uh, including that this stackability i mean all apple has actually said is 2019 modular there'll be a display um and, and this builds on all of that and kind of confirms bits of it except that uh, there's a claim as well that it might be delayed to next year everything seems terribly plausible um and if it is all right well i'm a bit disappointed in a way because it's like spoilers you know let apple show me this stuff rather than whoever they are unpronounceable yeah and it's it's one of those things where uh, that's the problem with rumors all the time is that you sort of want to know and at the same time you want to hold back yes yes now this this is something that's more important and we should really pay attention to is the concept of what's going to happen with mac os and ios and i say that because macOS has for years used what's called AppKit as the framework for UI and things like that. And iOS used UIKit, which was meant for iPhones and then iPads and so forth. And last year at WWDC, they showed us UIKit on macOS and called it Marzipan. And the idea was that you could bring iOS apps to macOS. And that's great. One of the things that some people wanted and thought about was the idea of macOS apps being rewritten to use UIKit, that AppKit would go away, and that when that happened, that Mac apps could then be put on iOS. And, and of course, the big example that people use for this is the concept of let's put Final Cut Pro on iOS, because where is the good Final Cut Pro app for iOS? And... What I have to say is I think that's not going to happen or certainly not going to happen anytime soon, partly because just how, how tied to AppKit Final Cut is and rewriting it for UIKit would, would be very difficult. There would be things that simply wouldn't translate. Now, certainly Apple could throw those out as they did with moving to Final Cut Pro 10 from previous versions, but I don't know that that's what they really want to do at this time. This just seems to me like a way to get people who weren't developing for the Mac to effectively develop for the Mac um, at the cost of, I don't know, one more email or one more tick box or something, rather than uh, a way to 
shed the Mac of its old things and move over. Right. So, so the, uh, the, the I would like Final Cut on iPad. That's absolutely true. But there is one, isn't there? I've forgotten the name of it. But Apple used it in that um, iPad Pro video. The Adobe Premiere. Yeah, the Adobe Premiere. No, something beyond an L luminosity or something. Like that, forgive me. I, I will look it up uh, for the show notes, but I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, it just I thought, oh, that looks rather nice. Right. So the goal is, like you think, to to allow developers to make a single binary that can be submitted to a unified app store. The the thing is, is that it's not clear how well that will work out. You know, it's a nice idea to make it so that the app stores are merged as far as users are concerned, but it's it's not really sure that that will actually take place the way people hope. You know, Windows tried to do this. And they ended up having Windows Phone and Windows RT for the uh, the RT ARM-based tablets and also for the, the regular Surface and laptops for Windows 10. And they thought that people would then write those unified apps. It didn't really work out. And it ended up Is killing off the... the fact that Windows Phone just didn't take off? Why was well, it worth anybody? Well, Windows Phone could have taken off. They They failed with Windows Phone in part because they didn't do enough to support their development community. And by that, I mean one of the steps that they made was they, they initially started their app store without an age ranging or, or age rating system. You know, in, in the iOS app mm. store, it will say this app is meant for people who are 17 and above, right? Contains, yes, contains that. you know, contains themes that are more mature or contains violence or whatever. You know, if you've got a game like uh, Infinity Blade – and it shows blood as you slash a sword through someone. Okay, so maybe that's uh, one that, that at least mentions that in the store. Well, Windows Store didn't really do that initially. And so then they patched it to, to add that category to it and then wanted every developer to create and submit a new build rather than just going and editing their metadata. And they didn't have enough user base so that all the developers that were, were out there said, you know what, we're not going to submit a new build just for this. Give us a break. And Microsoft took out every app that did <laughs> not submit a new build when asked to to account for that change in the App Store. And they shot themselves in the foot because they basically took every app out of their App Store. Well, whoops. <laughs> this doesn't really fit with the, the Steve Barmer developers, developers, developers thing a few years ago. I always thought um, <sighs> an advantage of Windows is that they have these this amazing development pool well that didn't exactly work out in their favor let's say okay and uh so it'll be interesting you see that happening with apple if they do this i mean they've been known to pull things well before but i can't see them doing something quite like that i mean they they've sort of had a, a bit of a difficult time with the mac app store Right, the Mac App Store initially had people come to it, but then left it because it's sandboxing rules and difficulties and things like that. And so now people distribute outside the Mac App Store. And Apple would like everyone to be distributing through the App Store, now for no small reason because they also get that thirty percent cut, but also because sure. it's a nice unified way for people to find software and be secure that the you know be, be sure that the software they're loading is from a secure source. It's authenticated, and. Apple would very much like for that for their users. So this kind of change would make good sense for Apple, but does it make good sense for those developers that are currently distributing outside the Mac App Store? Maybe not. 
Okay. I, I mean, I like the redesign of the Mac App Store, but it has problems. Uh, I dislike it vehemently. Well, if you, have you tried to get back previous purchases? There are times when it simply doesn't work. Um, I wrote an article on Apple Insider about how to get around most of it, but the, still finding problems. The problem with the App Store is the same problem with the App Store on Apple TV, which is trying to search for things is bad. Trying to search for prior purchases is very bad. My purchases in the old version of the Mac App Store used to be in a long list that I could scroll and then install. And what it really needed at the top was a search field so I could search that list. And that okay, would have been... break it to you, and there was and, a search field. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. so, so bear, bear with me. Ah, hard to find. Well, so if it's hard to find, then they haven't done their job right. Now, sure. now if you're in the Mac App Store and you go to your prior purchases, and I'm doing this as we do it, just so that no one can say I haven't uh, hate to break it to you, just like you did. Okay. So I have my purchase list, and there is no search field among my purchased list. There's a search field in the left column, but that searches the whole store. Yes. I just want to search my prior purchases because Lord knows I have, like, uh, a long list of scrolling through them, especially now that they're no longer presented in a list form. They're now presented in two columns. It is so much harder. Yeah, you say that, but clearly you have not appreciated or at least not suffered from the greater problem, which is uh, there are many times when uh, you will find, for some reason, and generally I cannot fathom out why, that list of previous purchases is wrong. Uh, for the longest time, I had apparently only ever purchased one app, and I'd never even heard of it. I must have downloaded it for something. Uh, I went through contortions to get them all back, and I believed I did, but I'm still every now and again finding one that does just simply doesn't list for it even though it hasn't been removed i did legitimately buy it i can find it through my itunes receipts and all of this there's something very very screwy about the database for previous purchases so that problem of not being able to find them just because on the list um my heart doesn't bleed it might hemorrhage a tiny amount for you yeah well they have problems yeah but uh, so but that's wait, a problem but, the but wait, wait. Yeah. But we're talking about app stores actually. So this is this is relevant. So you you, yes, you remember except... you remember what it was like trying to find software before a Mac app store. Right? Well, it was <laughs> it was very difficult. You'd you'd you know, you'd look around, you'd search the internet, maybe you'd find a CNET download page or you'd you know, you'd go to macupdate.com and you'd search things and try and figure out what what on earth application is going to actually meet your needs, right? Really hard to do. And I don't know how we coped. I genuinely can't remember how we did it at all. But yes, okay, it was another world. And trying yes. to find software is still actually a challenge. And so there's a site called Captera.com. And Captera.com is a free online resource to help you find the very best software solutions for your business. And they have over 700,000 reviews of products from real users. So you can kind of discover everything you need to make an informed decision. They have 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. So no matter what kind of software your business needs, they make it easy to find the right solution fast. There are millions of people who use Captera each month to find the right tools for their business. And you can join them. You can be among them. Visit captera.com slash Apple Insider for free today 
to find the right tools to make 2019 the year for your business. Capterra.com slash Apple Insider. Capterra, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Apple Insider. And I, I, I think it really is relevant. You know, we, we how do you find good software that's going to actually meet your needs? And the Mac App Store doesn't really help you do that. You still end up searching the web. And a resource like Capterra actually fixes this problem. Sorry, my mind has gone, uh, and partly I'm back trying to remember how in the world we ever cope with this. But now, summary, so all the stuff I've read about uh, Apple's merging of things talks about it from the developer's point of view, that I, as a developer, will just submit once and it will propagate out. Um, that doesn't necessarily follow, then, that there will be one single app store um, for as far as users are concerned. Well, I mean... The interface for the Mac App Store now mirrors very much the interface for the iOS App Store. These things are coming closer together. Although but the content isn't. So. Al- although you can search your purchases on the Mac, on the uh, the Apple TV and the iPhone App Store. So there's that. Oh, true. But okay. um, it's it's sort of becoming this unification. And they would like for you to be able to submit once and have it be everywhere. But what that means is if you're designing an app for iOS, you create your UI for that. If you're designing it for Mac, you have to go ahead and create it again. Now, if you're using storyboards, maybe you can avoid that. But really, if you're trying to make an application that lives up to the best of what you want it to be, then you have to put in some work for it for both platforms. Now, there will be people who will say, look at the current Stocks app and say, no, Apple clearly didn't. And they're not wrong. But – <laughs> you know, or or the news app for that matter. You know, these these don't feel as much like good Mac applications as they do like Electron apps or Node.js apps. You know, React kind of things, which are are portable. But if if you don't have applications that really show off and take advantage of what the platform can do, then the platform is sort of wasted, right? If if all of your applications are web based, why would you own a Mac? Is a valid question. Sure, it's always been the same thing with Final Draft, which is built for Windows and PCs, and always comes out on the Windows as looking like a 1980s PC app. I mean, it does lots to love in Final Draft, but the look is not one of them. Yes, and the feature list isn't as much as it could be. You know, so, you yes. wrote you wrote that Final Draft review, and I I pointed out, and you you protested, but I pointed out that I really like using um, Highland and Fountain. Yeah, Highland's great. It doesn't do quite everything I might want, but what it does, it's really, really good at, yes. Right. And it's also a Mac app. It's a proper application as opposed to a port from Windows. True. Yes. You know, granted, the work is what matters, right? But but using the tools can make making the work more pleasurable. And uh, I, I, I long ago gave up touching Final Draft. Of course, I don't do it nearly as professionally as you do, so it's uh, sort of a moot point. I'm not exactly their ideal customer, but that's what I get. I'm not in the Writers Guild, William. I'm sorry. Okay. You can apply to be if you have sufficient <laughs> um, credits and things. Let's just do a plug for the Writers Guild of America, West and East, fine organizations. Yeah. I'm uh, Just to be clear, I'm Deputy Chair of the Writers Guild of Great Britain, which is, of course, affiliated, but it's not the same thing. I think you would have to have British-based credits to have a hope of joining the guild here, 
Mm. But, you know, you're already in America, so that gives you a head start. Yeah. You've just got to write things. Mm. A lot. Right. That are made. Oof. <laughs> How did we get onto that from Final Draft? Uh, App Stores, then. We, it looks like uh, Apple... Apple has actually said, haven't they, uh, that the ones they did so far, Stocks, Home, News, that's their kind of internal testing thing, and that in a year's time, they will do whatever it is they do to let developers... Uh, do more. So right. I'm assuming WWDC, we'll see more details about that. Sensible. I don't know. Yeah, that's the fits. idea. Yeah. yeah. Now, we, we should discuss the financials for a moment. You know, we, we talked about how they had made their earnings adjustment and, and, you know, the stock price was affected by that, things like that. Well, the holiday quarter results revealed that iPhone revenue was down 15% compared to last year. But unit figures were not provided by the company under the new policy. So Gartner went ahead and tried to compile some data. And according to Gartner's data, the number of units did go down, but at a lower percentage of 11.8%, which is believed to be the worst quarterly decline for the company since the first quarter of 2016. But they're claiming that iPhone unit sales reached 64.5 million for the quarter, down from 73.2 in the fourth quarter of 17. So for 2018 as a whole, iPhone sales are down just 2.7% or 209 million units. Now, I'm sorry. I got so lost. You got lost. In all of those That's numbers. why I capped I mean, it with the year, right? 2.7% doesn't sound that bad, does it? Uh, no, I am at 2.7% right, of a very, very big number isn't wonderful. But yes, proportionately, uh, I, I'm not panicking for Apple, should we say. But the rest of it, um, yeah. Yeah. It seems like you could add those numbers up and get any results you want, which may be true. The the thing is that it really looks as if the weaker demand was that it was it was a little bit weaker across most regions, with the exception of North America and the mature Asia-Pacific markets. Uh, China saw the biggest decline. And that's okay, that's that what it comes down to. That, so, so that's sort of the – basically, that's sort of what we thought we already knew, but Gartner's numbers tend to agree with it. And we agree with Gartner. Well, maybe not always, but it, it certainly seems to jibe with the rest of what we know. All right. So on average, it's a good source. It's because you hear so many analysts, so many things. I, I never quite keep up with uh, who has accurate data. And I don't know how they're getting this data anyway. So there must be some intelligence and guesswork in there somewhere. Yeah. But I'm sure they're very, very good at it. Yes. Yes. Now, Goldman Sachs. And Apple are working on a credit card. We've had this rumor before, but it looks as if they're continuing work on this project that will result in a jointly produced credit card that offers extra functions in the wallet app. So you could potentially use it to manage your spending and your accounts more effectively without requiring a separate credit card app. All right, I can see that. Yes. Uh, I actually think America is better off for financial apps than the UK because you have Mint.com, which always looks great and keeps not coming uh, to the UK at all. So I don't tend to use an app for it. I go straight to my bank accounts, uh, online banking, all of them, every now and again, and manage them that way. So the idea of something on my phone uh, helping me spend more money, that really does. That works for me. I can follow that. Yeah. Now, there's also some suggestion that the rings concept that's used on the Apple Watch could be ported into this. Um, no one's really sure exactly for what yet, although I kind of wonder if it would be around <laughs> financial health, right? 
you know, <laughs> use the rings for your spending activity or or your saving activity or, you know, you're saving towards goals kind of thing would be good. William, you're so close to going into overdraft. A little seven-pound purchase would put you right over. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Actually, I wonder if they would also do the sharing thing because um, I really dislike the health sharing activity bit because everybody I'm sharing with is doing better than I am. Uh, but the idea of actually having uh, your your financial details shared with, say, your partner or bookkeeper maybe something like that if that isn't the same person then that could actually be really quite motivating um and that'd be a useful thing yeah Which maybe yeah i'm just making it up. now the the idea here is that this would also of course dovetail into apple pay and maybe it would help push some apple pay adoption which is... I genuinely keep forgetting that there's even an issue about Apple Pay adopting because I mean, we've covered this before. The complic- uh, as much as I think the US has better uh, financial apps, your financial system as a whole is so complicated compared to here where the moment Apple Pay existed, it was accepted everywhere because of other systems yeah, we have. Yeah. I pay with it so much that I forget there's an issue that anybody can't. So, yeah. Target, yes, Target Retail. Big retail in America just turned on tap to pay at all of their terminals, only just. Now, they have not enabled Apple Pay for their own Target Red card, their branded card. Now, the branded card from them gives you 5% discount on your entire purchase. So it's, there's there's a value to using it, but it's yeah. not an Apple Pay approved card. It doesn't work in Apple Pay. So if you want to use that card, in an, you end up using the Target app and scanning a barcode. Mm. As opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to being able to put it in your your wallet and tap to pay that way. That's the, you will know this um, certainly more than I do. In the UK, there is um, uh, a kind of notional limit uh, of thirty pounds when you're paying through Apple Pay uh, or, or any kind of uh, contactless system. And lots of places, if you're paying through Apple Pay, they don't care; they'll take anything. They kind of trust it. But in theory, it enough places limit you to 30 that we've kind of trained ourselves to not go over 30 when we're doing this. Is it the same no. in America? Because no. oh, right. no. 5% of £30 is less uh, of a bigger deal than 5% of 1000 isn't it? So yeah. uh, is there no limit? Or? No limit. Okay. No, no limit. You, you... But it does make me uh, understand more why people would be... Fuss. I mean, I might be wrong to not want a 5% discount or not be fussed about a 5% discount if I'm buying a fiver's worth of food or something. Uh, but it doesn't hurt me as much as a larger amount would. So, I mean, yes, I get that. If, if mm. you're shopping for groceries and clothing and personal hygiene goods and stuff like that, and you walk out with a basket that's full of, uh, you know, $150 worth of product, you want your 5%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that it's just sort of this weird state that they're in where they they accept tap to pay, but their own product for that gives them that discount is not in the tap to pay stuff. So you can't you have to use their barcode app or swipe the physical card. Presumably, when you say tap to pay, that's what I would call um, uh, contactless. Yes, it's the same thing. And that means... That's not specifically for Apple Pay. It's for any type of Correct. contactless thing. Correct. So that means none of the contactless ones have the the target card system. Cor- the target card does not contactless, yeah. 
Right. So it's possible since Apple, I don't, uh, I've never used this. Apple does add some sort of loyalty cards, doesn't it? Yeah, they the do. Wallet. They do. Yeah, they so do. if they were to switch on Target, that would actually put them ahead of every other contactless well, uh, thing in the States. It's, it's so they should do that. Target that there has to make that decision, and they have as yet no plans. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Now, you know how sometimes you have a product, a hardware product, and you have an app for it. And the app will say, hey, there's an update for your hardware product. Would you like to update it? And it will actually update the firmware of that hardware product. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And frequently it says things like hold the phone close and don't leave the app when you're doing this so that nothing happens and goes wrong when you're updating, right? Uh, I guess. This sounds like what I used to get with the Apple Watch a lot. That's the only one I can think of that does this. But yes, I've been through this process. So Nike has a shoe called the Nike Adapt BB. And these are self-lacing sneakers that can be tightened and loosened via the smartphone app. I know right. you're I you're you're, you're stunned, just right? You're shocked. Struggling to judge. <clears throat> I just uh, I can't quite see how these where, where you're going with this. How these two things join up together? Well, but. so because they can be controlled by the app, there's the communication between the two. Now, engineers like to leave themselves doors so that they can update things if they need to. Right? If a product is shipped and finished and can't be updated, then if they have a bug, they can't fix it later. So they leave you know leave themselves an opening to update. And in this case, if you have the Android version of the Nike Adapt app, it will deliver a faulty version of the new firmware and brick your shoes. <laughs> brick your shoes. Yeah. Okay. So what does that actually look like? I mean, I do mean, the shoes close up? No, but they, they won't respond to the app any longer. And they won't, and it's possible that they also won't respond to adjusting their shoes. So, what happens if you break your shoe while wearing it? Well, that's the thing is that we don't actually know because Nike has yet to provide a solution or even comment on the issue. Okay, but it's definitely an issue. So, so, okay. so here, here's the thing, right? If you used the iOS app, you were okay. But if you were using the Android app. The uh, the the shoe stops responding and cannot be updated. And if you perform a hard reset on your shoe, it doesn't appear to solve the problem. <laughs> Sorry, a hard reset on your shoe. I don't know why it's tickling me. I need to reboot so my shoe. Excuse me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I imagine if it was boots and you had to reboot your boots, uh, and you bought them from Boots, which is a the pharmacy. Chain. Yeah. Got... Yes. Yes. Okay. Alrighty, but really, this boils down to this is an yet another difference between Android and iPhone. Uh, the iPhone uh, has some sort of sartorial uh, safety measure to stop your feet getting trapped. Well, so in here's these shoes. here's the problem: is that Nike. So when you do a firmware update, when when you design a product and the product can have a firmware update, if you were really concerned about what you were doing, if you were smart, you would put in an extra bit of flash RAM and have it partitioned. And the partition will have a duplicate copy of the firmware. And when you update, it should copy to the second part of the partition and then update from that and then copy to the recovery partition. So basically there is, ah. there is always, always a good version of the firmware to boot. So if it tries to, to start from the failed update, it can fall back to the good one. 
except uh, that's presumably more expense uh, for the hardware manufacturers and all this stuff. But if that's what's happened here, how has it not been an issue for iPhone? No, it didn't. Users? It didn't happen here. They didn't. They didn't build no. that into the shoe. The iPhone simply just loaded the firmware correctly and maintained the connection with the device correctly. The Android app the did not. Now, this is a mistake that firm that that engineers make all the time. This this cost part saving or whatever. You know, I uh, I had to flash the power management computer in my car last summer. And when I was flashing it, I was using a laptop and it got about 30% across and then failed. And now I had a failed firmware flash on my car and couldn't start my car. And had they built in the extra flash memory, as I said, and had a recovery partition for it, then I would have been able to continue starting the car. We truly are two countries divided by a common language. Because if you tell somebody you're at flashing in your car here... Yeah, you'd just, be arrested, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, yes. program, okay. I was programming the computer in my car. As you do. Okay, yes. Now, is that a typical operation for most people? No. Is programming the firmware update in your shoe going to be typical? Yeah, probably. Yeah, kind of question that, but okay, yes. If you're a mm -hmm. Nike Adapt BB owner, yes, yes, it will. Okay. Has this idea of Bluetooth, presumably it's Bluetooth, Bluetooth-enabled shoes catching on with any other well, manufacturers? Actually, we've been doing Bluetooth-enabled shoes for quite some time. You just haven't really thought about it. They <laughs> tend to be for runners or footy players, football players. Oh, okay. So there's some sort of data monitoring. It's very much data monitoring. In, in running, it's you know, step counting, it's pressure as your foot hits the ground, it's gait analysis, it's it's things like that. And it's some of the same stuff that you use in the football stuff too. And, okay. you know, it's it's possible to detect if you're injured by noticing the difference in your gait. It's possible to advise on your running or keep track of your running and synchronize those with apps that help you manage, you know, your preparation for a marathon, for example. You know, okay. uh, or or apps like Strava, for example, where Strava was going ahead and reporting geolocation on uh, troop movements and stuff like that a year ago. So Strava, yeah, I haven't heard of that oh, one. Yeah. Right. So there are all kinds of of things we've been doing with foot pods for years. You know, the original Nike foot pod, Nike Run, was a was a foot pod that worked with an iPod, and that was using Bluetooth. Sorry, my mind's just gone back to all these Android-owning footwear users. Uh, how many formal galas and, I don't know, funerals are there where somebody ha cannot get out of their, their pumps and has to be there in their finery and athletic footwear as well? You know, you, th this is not exactly the podcast where we comment on sartorial fashion. This is not You're right we should wait for the next season of Dancing with the Stars. Well, okay. I mean yes. I mean I I sometimes host another podcast where we talk about luxury items and 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 fashion and things like this and if if you'd like to be on that one we can do that one. I have absolutely no knowledge or skill or experience so yeah, I'm definitely up for that. I was yes. just waiting for you to say interest. I didn't hear it. So yeah, you're on. Well, actually, interesting. I, I, I was very careful to say Dancing with the Stars there. Uh, the version we have here is called Strictly Come Dancing, historical yeah. reasons. And honestly, a part of it is Frock Watch. I was at uh, BBC Birmingham uh, last week, and in the reception area, they have some of the most gorgeous frocks from the show. And I admit my first thought is no human being is slim enough to wear those. But beyond that, I mean, the use of materials and stuff is really interesting. So, All right. Well, we'll arrange that. 
And uh, when we do, we'll go ahead and when we host an episode, we'll go ahead and tell you all about it here on the Apple Insider podcast. Now, security is still one of those things that we talk about over here. And Nest Secure, a product owned by Google, is a uh, security system that works with Google Assistant and Nest and things like that. And and what happened was that apparently it was out for 18 months and Google announced an update that said, hey, there's a mic in it now and you can use it for Google Assistant. And people are upset because they didn't realize that their security system had a microphone in it for the past 18 months that they weren't ever told about. Right. So that means a security system is arguably insecure. Well, I mean, one could certainly think about that. Now, obviously, Google's saying that the mic had not been enabled previously and that using it is an opt-in feature that can be activated or disabled at any time via the app. Uh, But that doesn't really comfort people because people didn't really like the idea that their home security system had the potential to record them. What could possibly go wrong? Well, so Google says the on-device microphone was never intended to be a secret and should have been listed in the tech specs. That was an error on our part. The microphone has never been on and is only activated when the user specifically enabled the option. But people are already distrustful of this stuff, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, there is a worry for it. I, I quite—I mean, it doesn't sound very likely that make a mistake, but I can completely buy that it did. So you know, we've all made mistakes for it. So yeah. I think but. I think the issue here is that Google Google should not have done this when they're sort of operating at a trust deficit, right? People distrust Google and distrust Amazon, and and for that matter, distrust Facebook. And one of the things that I think is that sometimes the employees there don't even realize that they're operating in in this sort of trust deficit, that they they have a bubble around them that thinks, well, we're doing good stuff. People should trust us. Absolutely, we're fine. And we saw that from Facebook employees who made comments to that effect when Apple yanked their certificate a few weeks back, right? This is just Apple mm-hmm. trying to have revenge against Facebook. This is this is not serious. And, and Apple is just grandstanding again on privacy. Were those kinds of comments? So people really don't realize that that their company is not necessarily seen in the best of light. You know, Google probably thought they could go ahead and issue this release and that it'll just blow over, and it probably will blow over. But but it's not a good situation, is it? Except if you're listening to the Apple Insider podcast, I think you are. Uh well, unless you stumbled across this by accident and stayed for the comedy, which would be very nice, you you're you're conscious of this stuff more than the average consumer, and there are a lot of average consumers. I would have said actually, I'm an average consumer most of the time, but I know about this one. The majority of people who buy Google things, I suspect, are not as fussed as we know they should be. So yes, I think it will blow over. I think. I think you're right about Google's, Google's people's perception of themselves, but they're also aware that for the greater majority of the market, uh, so what? Yeah. And why should they be fussed about something as terrible now, as this? We, we should be absolutely clear, right? There's no evidence that this was a working microphone. There, there's no evidence there was actually eavesdropping on anyone. And Google announced this update enabled the microphone. There, there was no blogger that discovered a nefarious activity. There was no one that, that found this out and discovered it. It just was – they announced it and everyone said, wait a minute. What do you mean you're announcing that? How, how is that even possible, right? So we, we have to really look a little bit harder first find something really nefarious. 
the Nest Secure product came out four years after Google acquired Nest. Most people that would be concerned about this would have already been suspicious of the Nest Secure product a little bit, right? You know, I can't that's, believe it's that long, but yes, okay. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, Tony Fidel is kind of out over there, and Matt Rogers hasn't been doing a whole lot over there, and, and the founders have moved on. Yes. Should we wrap it up with a Qualcomm story? A Qualcomm story? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, is there anything yeah. going on? Well, Previously so on Qualcomm. Qualcomm has, has tried to get product bans around the world. They've tried to get product bans in the U.S. They've tried to get product bans in Germany. they tried to get them in, uh, in China. And so Qualcomm was seeking a ban from the International Trade Commission after the judge in September made an initial ruling against that action, saying it'd be against the public interest. And he declared Apple in violation of one of three contested patents, leaving the door open for, for action. But there was not an injunction. He said a ban with on iPhones with Intel chips would effectively give Qualcomm a monopoly over the wireless modem market. Um, so Apple revealed that they discovered a software workaround to Qualcomm's design, something that they'd originally deemed impossible in prior arguments. Qualcomm believes that this revelation undermines Pender's previous decision. And so Qualcomm thinks that that by Apple discovering this software workaround, it, it opens the door again to a number of temporary ban. And so it looks like by March 26th, the ITC is going to have to make a final ruling that, that decides whether or not there's going to be a ban. Did right. you get lost in the that? The last thing I remember about this story is uh, Apple saying um, all that time ago last week that they were reintroducing the iPhone 7 and 8 with uh, Qualcomm hardware uh, right. in Germany to get around that ban. Yeah. Uh, is this saying, nah, didn't bother, just update iOS and everything's fine? Right. So that's what they're, what they're saying is that they, they began selling the modified iPhone 7 and 8 models with Qualcomm modems to skirt the ban in Germany. But... They found over here that they could go ahead and do a software update as a workaround to, to get around the patent problem. And so now Qualcomm's saying, wait a minute, if you can do that, then you absolutely are in violation. Give us the ban. Give us the injunction. So right. we I will kind of see. follow that, but um, my mind's still on Germany. If Apple in the US has figured they can get or believes they can get around the patent with software – uh, are whoever it is that decided to buy some more Qualcomm chips in Germany going, go? I expect not in part because of speed to getting back in market. Oh, right. That makes sense. Good point. Yes. I I think, you know, the very worst case is being under a legal cloud and not having product for sale because that's where people begin to lose confidence and then don't want to take the product back on the shelves. And of course, Apple, because they're Apple, they don't run that risk nearly as badly. But there's never a time when you want to not have product on the shelf, when you when you sure. don't want it available, and so because it's it's lost sales, it's missing out, and it's it's that cloud, and that's the cloud not only with consumers but with retailers, and so getting back in market with the modified fast was the right answer. The real right answer is going to be resolving this legal case. The real right answer is going to be making all of these things go away and having a settlement, but um, having a judgment and a settlement. But that that's not where we're at yet. 
Presumably that's not going to happen on this March 26th date, because I remember you telling me that uh, there's a case in April as well to well, do with all of this. The March 26th date is just a judgment on the uh, the injunction, I believe. Okay. Well, I dare say you might be following that. Um, got that impression, yes? A little bit, yeah. Excuse me. Okay. <sighs> right. Yep. You Let's... follow Qualcomm, I'll follow Frox. Uh, and the design of sartorial apparatus for iPhones, and we'll see what happens next. William, where can people find you on the internet? I am pretty much always on Twitter at W Gallagher, and uh, there's also, obviously, uh, Apple Insider email address, william at appleinsider.com, and I do particularly enjoy getting emails uh, there. I'm at vmarks on Twitter, and I write over at Wristwatch Review as well as here. And we will be back next week with more of the Apple Insider Frockcast with William. All right. Excellent. I like frocks. Frockcast. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been lovely having you here. It's been lovely having all of you join us and listen. We'll see you back next week.